I don't think I've ever really understood myself as an upstander with the label, but it has always been a way I have oriented myself to the world. I remember a time when I was 10 years old and my mother was part of a lot of justice and service work in her community. And that might have always uh, been an influencer on the way that I oriented myself to the world. But she took me along with uh, some of her friends to a rally for hunger in America called Hands Across America. This was, I think, in the 90s, maybe even earlier than that. And, you know, it was the the goal of the protest was that Americans across the country from coast to coast were going to link hands in a human chain as um, a human message that we are all connected and we all need to support uh, solving the problem of hunger in America. And so we went and we had to drive to a particular spot away from our house. Uh, I was in Arizona at the time, and this was the Arizona meetup. And I have this very distinct memory that at the appointed hour when everyone across the country was to link up in their time zone, and we were linking up, but we were near a freeway, on like an on-ramp. And there was some concern about how we could do this and really kind of create the human chain. And um, I have this recollection that as a 10-year-old, I sort of took charge of the moment and decided we were just going to block the on-ramp for a few minutes so that we could like not break the chain. I felt really um, passionate that we had to create the human chain. We couldn't be the source of the break. Um, and I've always hung on to that story because it has always sort of been a fun um, and revealing sense of my personality of being so passionate about solving the challenges and the issues of inequality, whether it's hunger, whether it's racial injustice, whether it's economic injustice of our time and putting my body out there in whatever way was needed, but without really a lot of thought sometimes. Um, and as I grew older, I had a lot of influences in my life that I, were, I was able to watch do the same things. Um, in particular in faith communities that I was a part of, that I was watching justice work and being aware of the inequality and plight of others and that our faith really fuels us to recognize that we are here for one another, uh, ha also informed my orientation to be an upstander. And so when I became a Unitarian Universalist and then eventually a minister, I knew that that was part of my calling to the work, that if I uh, was going to fully embody the role that I had chosen or that had chosen me and my own faith, that it had to be oriented towards other people and towards making the world a fair, just, equitable, compassionate place for all of us. I'm Sarah Lawal. I serve as a minister of the Boise Unitarian Universalist Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. This is We Sing Out for the People, written and performed by Gary Sandusky. We sing.
Sing out for the people who rise up for human dignity. We sing out for the people who light a candle in the dark. We sing for those who faced their fears and stood up when it counted. We sing for those who dried their tears to come back once again. We sing out for the people. There are people here among us, you may not know their name, but their deeds speak so loudly, they are heroes just the same. You may not see them on the news, and you may not hear them praised, but what they do inspires us and makes our passions rise, so we sing out for the people. Who stand up for human dignity We sing out for the people Who light a candle in the dark We sing for those who faced their fears And stood up when it counted We sing for those who dried their tears To come back once again We sing out for the people Well, I knew a man in Denver, I doubt you know his name. He put his body on the line, his people's rights to gain. They beat him on the way to jail, but he didn't stop. And what he did inspired me. It gave me strength to stand up and sing out for the people. Who stand up for human dignity Sing out for the people Who light a candle in the dark We sing for those who faced their fears And stood up when it counted We sing for those who dried their tears To come back once again We sing out for... Welcome to the Voices of Idaho. This is Dan Prinzen, Executive Director of the Wasma Center for Human Rights with Adam Thompson. Hey there. Today, Sarah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that moment when you saw the power of being an upstander, making that decision at 10 to stand up, (laughs) join hands, working. I love the imagery of joining hands across the country. Do you still see that playing out in your ministry today? Yes, yes, and in different ways. Um, I think what I see playing out in this urgent moment in my ministry and in the work that for justice that we're trying to do as Unitarian Universalists across the country is pulling ourselves back out of the leadership of moments like that and really listening and and following and showing up in spaces that allow us to support, to uh, journey alongside, to show solidarity, but to really understand that it's we are not deciding what that looks like mm-hmm. in a way that my 10-year-old self decided what that should look like. <laughs> you know, that, to that point with it so often, I'll reference that maybe out of life experience, I will never have walked in your shoes, Mm -hmm. but I can walk alongside you. And that we can 
walk together in what we're seeing now is a movement for social justice. How do you react or interact with those, be they in your own congregation or in the community at large, who look at a moment like this and say, well, it's really not my issue. Hmm. It's really not my problem. You know, what's really interesting in my world is that this is one of the first times where I'm not hearing that refrain nearly as much as I've heard it in the past, both from my own people and from, you know, people that I am in relationship with. And I, yet I know it's a refrain that some say, but I'm encouraged by the fact that for all of those interesting reasons of that allowed our awareness to really hone in on the unjust racial injustices after the murder of George Floyd, people have come to this new awareness, even people who have been doing justice work for a long time um, and have never really denied that there's racial injustice are seeing it differently. And so I'm really encouraged by the way people are reawakening. I want to call it a reawakening because mm -hmm. I know there have been many awakenings mm -hmm. in our history to this moment and to a call to take personal responsibility and personal action alongside taking collective action and mm -hmm. community action. And that's been really encouraging. And I would just say that for those, you know, for those that do have that refrain of this is not my issue, um, my response, when I, when I he hear those thoughts of doubt creep up in my own mind, which happens to all of us, I think, on occasion, I remind myself that it it is humanity's issue. I cannot dismiss it. It is with me whether I want it to be or not, and I can choose to engage or I can choose to ignore and dismiss. Um, but if I choose to ignore dis and dismiss, then I'm doing myself, mm -hmm. my own freedom, my own sense of liberation, my own sense of being a human being in this world a disservice. You know, oftentimes, in our discussions, we're hearing words coupled with being an upstander, words of empathy, compassion. I love what you've just said. It is our shared humanity. It is that that we we see and we celebrate and we support in one another. That it is our calling for all of us. In one discussion, a gentleman introduced that who among us could sit and watch that television footage and the murder of George Floyd when he called out for his mother? Hmm. Who could not be touched at that moment? That that was a moment where we had to feel compassion and shared humanity. So how do you define being an upstander? I think it can take on so many different forms. And I think I define it in a couple of ways. Uh, first, I, I always start with learning, with my own learning. What do I need? To, what do I need to know? What don't I know? And I think we're really understanding that differently in, in this moment of racial justice is recognizing that as white folks, of which I am part of the dominant culture identity, 
there is so much that I have been blind to, that I have ignored, that I have not seen. And so the learning is powerful. And through the learning, I learn to recognize my own racism and the way that it is perpetuated in the world. And so I change, I become that upstander through that learning because it allows me to see the world differently and to respond to it differently. But I also very much think that being an upstander is putting yourself in spaces with those who are marginalized, historically oppressed, um, undervalued, uh, whether that is black, indigenous, Latinx, Asian people of color, those experiencing homelessness, our trans community, there are so many different marginalized communities out there that need some voices and need some support and need some allyship. And so being in those spaces can often shine a light on how we can be an upstander because there's no one way. But when we're in those spaces, we might be able to see how we can best uh, support and lend our voice to the moment or to the need and center those voices that have so long been kind of pushed out of the circle of what we might call the dominant or the norm, right? And allow them to really have a space for their voices to be heard. You know, it makes me think back years ago, Wasma Center Programming, we were working with teams of students in the Republic of Ireland and North Ireland. And it was a young man at a private high school in Belfast, who started describing what he saw as a community problem, but it was not a problem for himself. He said, I'm taking on this issue because right now they have not a voice. One day I might need them to speak for me. Hmm. And it was such an interesting how he began to frame and really uh, it gave a little depth to our work on when we recognize the other within our community those who have been marginalized or demeaned, those who have been put on the edges. How do we speak for them? How do we listen to what they have to say? I think this has also become an important moment. I love how you have referenced that for some, the starting point to being an upstander is our own education. Mm -hmm. We don't know what we don't know. And uh, right after the murder of George Floyd, when the center was called upon for a response, we actually crafted that in a guest opinion that it's not the issue that all upstanders do the same thing. It's that we each do something. And so we recognized even at the time, some were educating themselves. Some were marching in the streets. Some were funding organizations that do the work. Others started by having some very difficult conversations at home. Mm. How did you respond with the marches that community members, congregation members who said, I can't do that. Hmm. That's not what I do. Well, that's even more complicated by the pandemic, right? Yes. So we had to make some really hard, tough personal choices around that. And so it, for my own congregation, I um, really tried to allow for folks to make the choices that felt safe for them while pushing them to stay on the front lines in 
some way, shape, or form, whether that's through financial support to organizations mm -hmm. and communities that are on the front lines, whether that's supply support, so lots of mutual aid support is right. happening out there. I, I will say I was grateful that our National Unitarian Universalist Association held an online vigil on Zoom, a prayer vigil, which really allowed for all of us to come together in a way that we might have done publicly on the street, mm -hmm. but in a way that was safe Jeez. and healthy and allowed the space for folks to both share deep pain and a call to action. Although I had a number of congregants who made the choice, as did I with some of my colleagues, to show up for that uh, vigil mm -hmm. that happened here in Boise, where I think it was one of the largest attended yes. public vigils of its kind 5000 plus people was miraculous powerful beautiful um and i have participated in as many of those marches rallies and protests as i've been able to in an, in a variety yeah. of ways including the one shortly thereafter that was overtaken by all right white supremacists shouting down the organizers of the vigil in the circle. And it was terrifying. So Sarah, I know that you're also a mother. <laughs> what is the lesson for your children? Show up, speak up, put yourself out there. Uh, don't let injustice go unnoticed. Uh, and I and I have children who are very tuned in, I think, because we are as a family, but who um, are perhaps a little more introverted than I. So the showing up and speaking out uh, might look a little different than it does when I'm doing it. But, um, you know, the beautiful thing after even that protest with the alt-right and the challenge of that moment and all the press is, was being able to come home and talk to my family about it and talk about the experience and talk about the challenges and talk about what what does free speech mean and what does it look like and how do we embody that but also understand the trauma of people of color being shouted down with people carrying guns and where are the boundary lines and how do we how do we resist and how do we stand up and um and even conversations about nonviolent civil disobedience and other tactics right so we're hearing a lot in this moment when there's a lot what feel like some violent uprisings might be happening is that we're beginning a conversation about all the different kinds of tactics that are out there um, that folks might use to to fight injustice. And I come from a place that feels um, and recognizes that uh, everyone chooses their own path and their own tactic and they're all okay. Yeah. And it might not be one that I will choose, but someone else might. So be it with our children, congregation, or community. We start with a conversation. Who am I at this moment? Sarah, thank you so much. Thank you. This is the Voices of Idaho. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wasp Center podcast. As usual, if you're a musician or you know a musician 
who has some music related to our theme this year of being an upstander, please consider sending it our way at info at wasmuscenter.org. We'd love to feature it on the podcast. As usual, we'll have that next episode up on the 15th, and we'll see you then. Can we walk this road together? I can't travel it alone. I need someone beside me to help me find my way back home. Cause this world is full of anger and I've been walking through some pain. So if we walk this road together, we can find our way back home again. It's a home of many colors, no ceilings and no walls, but there is can share this road together so if you walk with me my friend with you right here beside me we'll find a home with peace again it's a home of many colors no ceilings and no walls, but there is room for all our brothers with no graffiti in the halls. We can share this world together, so if you walk with me, my friend. With you right here beside me, we'll find our home with peace. Oh.